You're listening to Ruminating with Real Ag with Deborah Murphy on realagriculture.com. Good afternoon and welcome to realagriculture.com's first ever podcast regarding livestock. My name is Deborah Murphy and I guess you're going to be stuck with me for the majority of this series where we'll be talking primarily about beef cattle production, but hey, I'm not going to be sheepish. We will be throwing in some multi-species grazing discussion as well. What a fascinating time to be a part of the beef industry with the recent comprehensive economic and trade agreement happening between the European Union and Canada and then also the mandatory country of origin labeling that we're dealing with coming out of the states. Now, I think if you look at either issue, there are certainly some positive things that could come out of them uh, for the beef industry in particular. But we actually had the opportunity this week to track down the president of the Canadian Cattlemen's Association. I found him on his way to a producer meeting and we met on the side of a gravel road. How real agriculture can you get, right? And we discussed CETA uh, and MCOOL. And we'll have that interview coming up shortly. But first, I want to talk about some of the things that are happening on our site. We've lately really beefed up the number of cattle and pasture health and management related stories that we've been covering on real agriculture. And if you haven't already weaned your calves or you're considering changing how you wean for next year, I highly recommend you hop on to realagriculture.com and type in Joe Stuckey. Now, Joe is a professor out of the University of Saskatchewan, and I reached him just south of, of uh, Saskatoon, actually, on a, a small farm operated by the university. And we were talking about two-stage weaning. So if you've never heard of it, it essentially uses nose tags to stop calves from sucking but allows them to still remain with their mothers for a certain duration of time. In this case, they recommend roughly five days. So if you've heard of it, you already know that it requires bringing the cows and calves through twice, which I think is a turnoff to a lot of people. However, with a good sorting system, this takes no time at all. And I was actually there when Joe and some of the first-year veterinarian students um, separated the calves to take the nose tags off, and it was a breeze. They used about they used a half gate in their sorting so that the cows could run past it and the calves would duck underneath the gate and they would be separated quickly and efficiently with little stress to the cattle and little stress to the people working the cattle as well. So that was really cool. And I did get some video of that half gate working in, in that interview. So take a look at that. Then I also met up with Steve Hendrick, who is an associate professor and veterinarian at the University of Saskatchewan. Uh, now, Steve and I talked a lot about preparing for preg checking. We didn't discuss why it is important to preg check. However, it, you probably already know that keeping opens over winter is going to cost a lot of money. But besides that, if you have some kind of a breeding problem or disease in your herd, you can find out quickly and efficiently by preg checking in the fall and get on top of that as soon as you can. Now, we also had the opportunity to discuss diagnosing and detecting pneumonia and other respiratory illness in cattle. 
that is. If you're listening to my voice right now, you probably have already determined that I must have shipping fever of some kind, right? So what do we do when an animal has pneumonia or another respiratory illness, and is it important to differentiate these? Not always. It's not always necessary to know what the difference is, but it is important that you talk to your vet and make a plan for um, determining when an animal should be treated and what they should be treated with. So this will rely largely on rectal temperatures and uh, and understanding subtle signs in animals as well. So those were all discussed by Steve. But one of the things that we didn't really talk about in the interview and didn't and it didn't end up getting published until now is lungworms. So if I've treated an animal numerous times and I just don't understand why it isn't getting better, perhaps it's lungworm. Now, if you've never heard of lungworm or you're like me and you forget your university studies and uh, the millions of different parasites that can affect our cattle herds, then you'll probably benefit from hearing Steve talk about what it is and how to diagnose it. The, the lungworm is a parasite of cattle and you know since we started using the poron, I'm going to call them the Ivomex and I want to be careful because there is lots of other products out there, but, but that was the first one on the market and since we started using those, a lot of our parasites that we used to um, see in cattle have, have been somewhat minimized because they were it was a, it's been a very effective product and I, I think it still is but uh, I guess with lungworm that would be one of those that we we probably haven't recognized to the same extent so if we get a little lax in our worming and especially yearlings like these ones that have come off grass if we were not to give them um, the ivermectin on arrival to the feedlot, um, it could be a, a concern for us and, and that these animals might have picked up larvae on pasture. So to complete the whole cycle, the eggs that are passed, or sorry, the larvae that are actually passed in the manure of these cattle can be picked up on grass um, and they can survive over the winter time and they will be picked up and these animals get infected uh, from the subsequent years of, you know, if they're yearlings out on grass and if they're not treated then in the fall then you end up with animals getting lungworm infections. So it's not something the most common but it is something that we're still aware of that can happen. Right. Yeah. And so you'll see some similar symptoms? Yeah, oftentimes in, in, in cattle, they present very similar to some of the viral pneumonias that I described. They, they have heavy, wet lungs, so they, they're really struggling to sometimes get their breath. They may not show the depression that you see with shipping fever, okay? Um, and, and I think that's important that, like I say, if with true shipping fever, they're depressed, the head down, ears down, they may not have their neck extended, they may not cough or they may cough, you know, but, but I would say with certainly with this lungworm, oftentimes lots of saliva because they, they just are really struggling to catch their breath and so they're not able to swallow all the saliva that they produce and so that's something that we commonly see. They get their head extended so they, they make their respiratory tract or airway as straight as possible to make you know least resistance for that air to get into those lungs and, and sometimes like I say they're really struggling 
So you want to be careful handling those animals. Um, you may, if it was a fat animal, think of uh, that interstitial pneumonia that I was talking about could look very, very similar and hard to distinguish. So with cows, that that is something that we worry about. But we often use the history of lush grass or at least a recent change. And usually you see it in a large number of animals to know that it's interstitial versus uh, the, the lungworm but we could see that in mature cows occasionally too so if they haven't been ivermectin in a long time and then in that case when you're starting to see the evidence of lungworm uh, pour on ivermectin isn't gonna do anything is it it's not quick enough um you know what probably a lot of the damage is done we, we would probably try treating those animals um, you would probably have to give some other inf anti-inflammatory or even an antibiotic because there's probably enough lung damage that other infections could get set up and started so um, yes certainly you can treat them and treat them successfully once again it all comes back to on how quickly you know the producer or animal health technician is able to find them so Welcome back to our podcast. Again, I'm Deborah Murphy, and I'm with realagriculture.com. Now, we've heard a lot about the controversy surrounding the comprehensive economic and trade agreement between Canada and the European Union, but the Canadian Cattlemen's Association, according to a news release they sent out on October 18th, is extremely pleased with the joint announcement of an agreement in principle for CETA. In fact, uh, CCA President Martin Unruh spoke about CETA as a game-changer for Canada's beef industry and that it will provide new duty-free access for 64,950 tons of Canadian beef that's valued at nearly $600 million. In that same release, he was quoted as saying, the removal of long-standing barriers in this agreement, such as high tariffs, finally enables Canadian beef producers to benefit from the high value that the European beef market represents. He went on to say, we are confident that the remaining technical barriers with the EU will be resolved and we look forward to continuing to work with the Government of Canada in this regard. But what are those technical barriers and how long until we start to see the changes of CETA taking place both within government and on our farm? Well, who better to ask than the president of the Canadian Cattlemen's Association himself? We met up with Martin Unruh earlier this week, and here's my conversation with him. What does the beef industry have to gain from this agreement? Well, for us, it's another market option. Um, I think that it's important that we look after all or look at all market options as opportunities. And for us, the, the CETA agreement as such will add, add uh, stability to our market in Europe. Uh, it'll also uh, help us to be able to value add to each piece of an animal. And it's very important for us in Canada to be able to value add to each piece of each animal. Um, the cattle that will be moving into Europe will be the same type of cattle that will be selling pieces um, to China from, uh, Russia, Egypt, some of those countries that are ractopamine-free. Um, those will be the same animals that will fit into that European market. So that'll be a benefit for us. And the biggest part of that European trade deal is the fact that the technical issues will be addressed. And so with the technical issues addressed, which means um, carcass washes and that type of thing, 
it'll allow us to to be able to have real market access to Europe and and we often talk about market access and then there's real market access and this will give us some real market access if we can get those technical issues addressed which we truly believe we'll, we'll get that done in the next within the next year um, with a side letter that we've signed and so we're very positive that this will be a real market for us and that we'll we'll have an option because uh, Right now, of course, Canada, domestic use is our, our first option. Um, the U.S. is probably our second option, and this will, this will be a real market for some other options out there. What are some of those technical issues? Well, carcass washes are the big thing. Um, you know, an, an example is acid washes um, that we use on carcasses just to make sure that the interventions, is, which is part of the interventions in Canada, to make sure that our, our carcasses are, are free of E. coli and that type of thing. Um, I think it's part of our food safety system, and, and uh, the processing in, in slaughter plants will not turn off their interventions uh, to, to export uh, meat to another market. You know, so to do it in a in a real way, we have to be able to use those interventions in a in a positive way in Canada, which is what we do now. And uh, for for the export to Europe, they have to accept those interventions. Uh, this is something the CCA has been working on since 2009, right? What has that work entailed? Well, since 2009, we've we've worked um, together with government and, and looked at all the options around this free trade deal for beef. And originally, we had you know some numbers that we threw out there and, and we went back and forth on where we could be or where we could land of course the technical issues were always talked about and a, and a deal without addressing technical issues was not a deal for us and that's just how it was and so we addressed that um, we've been uh, in Europe talking to some of the the opponents of this this deal um, namely you know the Irish the French the Spanish and that type of thing and we've been in Brussels numerous times to to help our government uh, and the negotiators to know exactly where the beef industry is at um, to be able to put that forward into the negotiations because this was a complex negotiation it wasn't about agriculture or about beef it was about about 16 different tables and so agriculture and beef had to fit into that and so it was complex and it was a little complicated but it had to be done in a, in a, a respectful way and and you know we had to give some things and, and they had to give some things and we managed to get this done I think this agreement is really good for everybody involved okay, so how long until CETA is finalized and producers will start seeing some of the change on, on the farm? Well, it takes time for these agreements to be put in place. As I said, you know, some of those technical issues have to be addressed. Um, before this thing is done, it'll probably be, you know, 2015 before we really get into this and, and get this finalized. Um, but we're looking forward to that. And so it gives us time to ramp up and to to uh, adjust and to be able to to make this a market that is, is absolutely important to us. And it, it gives an option. And what it does is it may take, you know, 400, 500,000 cattle to fill that market if we really get into it. And so it's that option that I talked about before that's so important. What kind of restrictions does Europe have on beef right now, aside from some of the ones you've already mentioned? Well, I guess the big thing, the big adjustment we'll have to make from the Canadian side is the hormone-free part. And, uh, you know, that's something that... that Early in the negotiations, we realized we wouldn't be changing that in Europe. Um, we accepted it as such, so we kind of gave in on that part of it, right? So, so we did give a little bit on some of those things, but that was something that, that a battle we couldn't win was a hormone issue. So we accepted that, and so for us in Canada to be able to ship into that market, we have to go the hormone-free route for cattle. Yeah, will we be able to capitalize on that market now, or are we going to have to change some of our practices? Um, there may be 
Some producers that'll have to change those practices to be able to get the numbers up high enough so we can fill that market. But having said that, if the economic value is there, I don't believe that should be a problem. Um, how will such a trade impact beef producers in the European Union? Well, we're not sure. We don't believe that that the amount of quota that we've got into the the European Union will impact them, you know, at all. We don't feel that it's it's going to impact the the European market, um, not substantially anyway. And I I think you know there's there's opportunities to for the Europeans to move into some other markets too. So it's one of those things. You know, trade is about trade, and we have to understand that if we're going to be be positive on trade and, and for us in Canada trade is what really drives our industry. Um, what's the next step for you guys? Then? Well I guess we have to keep an eye on on this uh, as, as we move forward to address some of those technical issues to to put them on paper um, to make sure that that uh, all the I's are, are dotted and T's are crossed I think we'll just be watching that to make sure that everything gets done in the right way and that that uh, this deal gets finalized and for us you know like like we've said before it's a positive thing and so we're going to just look after some of those minute details make sure that by 2015 this is in place so that that cattle producers can benefit thank you very much thank you that was Martin Unra, president of the Canadian Cattlemen's Association addressing the comprehensive economic and trade agreement well, that about wraps it up for this week's edition of the Livestock Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, and please do check out those videos on realagriculture.com. The first with Joe Stuckey out of the U of S discussing two-stage weaning, and then the second with Steve Hendrick out of also out of the U of S discussing pneumonia and respiratory illness in your cattle herd. How to diagnose? Uh, is it important to diagnose and how to treat? In the coming weeks, we'll be talking more about rotational grazing tips, tricks, and how to get started on your ranch, as well as talking about overwintering your cattle herds. So what are some options for frost-free watering endeavors and nutrient management in your rations? Thank you again so much for joining us. I look forward to seeing you next week. Take care. Take care.